Time to turn our attention to something we've seen a lot on television over the last couple of days, the one-year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Here to talk more about it from Washington, D.C. and the Atlantic Council is Melinda Herring, a senior fellow uh, at the Atlantic Council. Melinda, good morning. Good morning, Sterling. Nice of you to join us. I'm looking at the Atlantic Council website, and one of the headlines is, one year after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the U.S. releases new sanctions, and China steps in with a, quote, peace plan. As, let's talk a little bit about this. It's on your website, and I'm curious what you made of the intervention and the ongoing. It appears they're going to be uh, seriously intervening at every curve in the road. China's involvement, not quite suddenly, Melinda, but quite recent and quite intense. What do you make of it? Sterling, this is a big deal, and everyone's got their eyes on it. So the Chinese are playing a double game. They're talking about peace. They've released this new peace plan if you dig into it, Russia is not the aggressor, which is obviously a big problem for the United States and for Western allies of Ukraine. Sure. Uh, but the, the other issue, though, is that China is now talking about giving lethal aid to Ukraine. And the war uh, is going to, to come down to which side can uh, give ammo faster. So if the Chinese are giving the Russian ammunition, that's going to be a big deal. A lot of military analysts are calling it a game changer if it happens. Right. And, and uh, because the Russian supplies are becoming depleted, uh, it's not that they, can't, they don't have any cash to buy more, but their, their supplies are limited. So they need, they're looking for resupplies. Is this going to work out in Russia's favor just in terms of ammo, Melinda? You know, if the deal happens, yeah, it, it's a big deal, and it could really change the, the tempo of the war. So the thing that I would be watching, though, this year is 2023 is expected to be a year of Ukrainian counteroffensive. Yes. So before the, the year, you know, a year ago, Russia held 7% of Ukraine, and that's a, that's a heavy chunk. And then at the height of, of last year, they held 22%. But Ukraine has taken about a third of that back. And Ukraine needs these heavy weapons we've all been reading about, the tanks, the leopards, the Abrams, mm -hmm. and they're waiting for these to arrive. And they haven't arrived in time, so Ukraine has not been able to push and take more, more land. So it's really a race to resupply. Some people, some generals are saying it's, it's not a stalemate, but it's a slugfest. So it really comes down to which side gets the re resupply first. Melinda, I want to talk about sanctions because you're talking about that on the Atlantic Council website, too. But first, we need to talk about planes. President yeah. uh, uh, Zelensky of Ukraine is asking the United States and other uh, NATO allies for fighter jets. And uh, there is a, an enormous reluctance on the part of all involved, including America, on supplying this asset to Ukraine. What's the snag? What's the holdup? Uh, Russia, of course, is saying, oh, any planes and you've escalated this whole thing into a whole other level. Is that what's holding NATO back? So the, the, the Russian complaint is not what's holding us back. There is a fear in the White House, in the, the American White House, about escalation. And, and they, they keep telling themselves, the White House keeps telling itself that if we send heavier and heavier weapons, including planes, that the Russians eventually are going to use nuclear weapons. Right. And, and you know, most people don't think that's true, but you, we're self-deterring. Uh, one of the issues, though, is it takes about a year to train Ukrainian pilots on Western systems. Mm -hmm. So the Ukrainian argument is, OK, fine. If you can't approve it now, start training our boys on your systems now so that as soon as you get political approval, argument. We're... But just in terms of what's going to shape out, I think we're going to see the Brits and the Poles stick their neck out again like they did on tanks. And that's going to put pressure on the United States and on Germany to do the right thing and send these planes 
and get the war over as soon as possible. Just at one big point, uh, Sterling, time is not on Ukraine's side. Right. There are many, many more Russian soldiers that have their economy is doing much better than the Ukrainian economy. So the sooner we can get the weapons to, to Ukraine and in this, the better it is for Ukraine, the better it is for the West. The better it is for Canada and for the United States. But let's talk about the uh, you, the Russian economy and, and the fact uh-huh. that they are still in what would con- be considered, at least from an outside perspective, a fairly robust s- shape. And one of the stories that's on your website this weekend, Melinda, sanctions alone won't defeat Russia in Ukraine, but they're having a bigger impact than it might seem. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because Russia at least is putting up a brave face in 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 the wake of all of these sanctions. Sure. There's been many packages of sanctions. And it's interesting, if you go and talk to ordinary Russians who live in Moscow, they'll say that you can live a life without knowing, you can pretend that the war is not happening. Um, there's some restrictions on what you can do. Uh, but, you know, you can pretty much turn a blind eye if you're, if you're middle class in Moscow. Uh, and that the sanctions really haven't bit very much. But we know that Russia hates them and wants them removed, and they push for sanctions relief, you know, at any possible time that they can get it. So I I expect the EU and the U.S. to uh, continue to amp up the sanctions. Uh, But, you know, the Ukrainian economy has fallen between 30 and 40 percent. It depends on which estimate you use. And the Russian economy uh, still continues to grow in spite of these sanctions. Does it surprise you living in Washington, D.C., to see the amount of resistance uh, by elected officials in the United States to the continuing American uh, involvement in Ukraine and the enthusiasm the White House and most of America shows towards Ukrainians? Uh, There is still an element, mostly Republican, who are very much uh, against any uh, uh, increase in aid, and some of them going to to say that they should start pulling back. What do you make of that? So, Sterling, I think it's troubling that, that some members of Congress are uh, going out on a limb and saying things that they, they've turned Ukraine into a political football. Yes. Ukraine is not a political football. It is a real country. It is a, a, a country with, with more than 40 million innocent people who did nothing wrong. Uh, and they deserve our support and ongoing attention, uh, you know, for that reason alone. You know, you can talk about the, the, the bigger arguments, but from a human perspective, you know, that's why they deserve our, our attention. And if Putin isn't stopped uh, in Ukraine, that he's going to move on to Europe and it's going to be much, much more expensive for Canada and the United States uh, because of our NATO membership. Uh, you know, there's a lot of arguments you can go through. But, you know, just to zoom out a little bit, uh, the bigger perspective is that 65 percent of Americans, Republicans and Democrats, support uh, American assistance to Ukraine, sure, yeah. even if it means extending the war. So, yeah, there's there's things to worry about on Capitol Hill. Uh, and honestly, Sterling, the arguments that, that I would make, uh, you know, just as a, as a as an analyst, don't resonate with, with that part of the Republican Party. And I find that really troubling. So uh, if there is, you must at least acknowledge, a certain degree of Ukraine fatigue beginning to set in. Uh, we notice it here in Canada. And again, it's it's uh, to be expected. It's over a year now, Melinda, since this whole thing has begun. Uh, and, and there is concern that that could turn into something uh, negative in terms of the official support for Ukraine's efforts. So I think the support in the United States is really solid. And I'm going to go back to that Gallup poll. 65% of Americans said all systems are a go this year, and that number was consistent with last year. Are there, are there partisan differences? Yes, I, I do worry about them. Uh, but support for Ukraine has been a bipartisan affair since 1991. 
We just had a huge rally on Capitol Hill yesterday. Mm-hmm. You see uh, visible signs of support everywhere. So I think U.S. support, as long as President Biden is in power, is not going anywhere. And final question to you, Melinda, and we're grateful for your time on a Sunday morning. Uh, in terms of uh, the ongoing support, Putin keeps saber rattling. Every chance he gets, he sort of leans back towards the nuclear option. And this is what is causing, as you say, the sort of self-deterrence that's being imposed by the United States on its participation levels. Uh, you say the Brits probably a little more going to be a little more generous and a little faster off the mark to show more support, to show greater munitions-type support. Uh, uh, is there concern, though, that uh, that Putin's serious? Uh, because the saber-rattling's been going on for decades. In, in that sense, it's just more of same. Exactly, exactly. And I think one of the bigger points is we shouldn't fall for it. So it's interesting to study Putin's responses and his narratives. He's got about four different narratives he goes to, he runs to, when he's not doing well at the battlefield. And he loves to threaten the use of nuclear weapons. Right. And we should not take this lightly. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to belittle that. You know, it, it, it is serious. It is real. Russia is a nuclear power. But the likelihood of him using nuclear weapons is very, very small. And these would be tactical nuclear weapons. They would be used probably on the Ukrainian battlefield. Uh, and he's got one shot at it. And I think the important thing to remember, Sterling, and the thing that, that uh, gives me a lot of comfort is the United States is not the only power telling him not to use nuclear weapons. So other other countries that he does listen to, the Chinese don't want him to use it. Right. The Indians don't want him to use it. You know, if he uses nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons have been used you know, since World War II. Right. Uh, and that would change the world fundamentally, not just uh, with Russia, Ukraine. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons why he's not going to use nuclear weapons. Interesting stuff. Melinda, great to have you on the program this weekend. We very much appreciate your time, as I said, on a Sunday and hope to have the opportunity to speak with you again. Pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for highlighting. I really appreciate it.